0: I'm here to talk to you about the creation of the MCU universe. And with me, as always, is John Mills.
1: Uh, am I here, or is a 15 minute preamble slowly crawling across the screen explaining that I actually existed before the Infinity Stones? Here. I don't know.
0: I don't. Uh, okay. Uh, I think it's you. I think, I think it's okay. you. I think it's me. I think we're both who we think we are, and we can talk about the Eternals. Okay, listen. Uh, before tonight.
1: we get into this, you just said I think we both are who we think we are. I think that the universe would actually benefit from a, an army of me, which is the one positive idea I think that we can come out of with this movie. Is if there were millions of me, uh, you know, a few of you two spread out across the universe, things would be pretty good. It would be pretty nice.
0: Uh yeah you know um I I I can't agree with you um so <laughs> you can't yeah. come on now I, I'm just kidding the, no um it's just it's for beauty's yeah. sake alone yeah it's true that's very true um you know uh rarely has there been a more beautiful bald man so a hundred percent agree so it's just
1: me and Sam Jackson ruling the universe oh, two of us man
0: ah uh, that's a totally understandable well. We are here with Assembling Avengers. Uh, we are talking about our next film in Phase 4, which is The Eternals, directed by Chloe Zhao. Uh, before we get to talking about everything in the movie, just thank you for listening. We really appreciate you guys tuning in. And you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe. You'll get all the episodes here in the feed as soon as they drop. Uh, if you love the podcast, help us out by giving us a star rating review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify really does make a difference uh of course you can also support us on patreon at patreon.com slash trek fm and make sure all the podcasts here on the network keep coming to you each and every week we've got the great new vip room episodes that are dropping there that christy and i have, are doing uh so the only place to get those is on patreon uh you can also find us on social media at 602 club on twitter and at 602 club tfm on instagram so follow us like us Please uh, enjoy the conversation over there. We'd love to get to converse with you. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm With the entire network. You can also uh, find the entire network over at trek.fm where uh, you can see all of the podcasts that we're doing. And there is a listeners-only discussion group on Facebook called The Babel Conference. You can join and you can talk to listeners from all over the world about our shows. John. I want to get this uh out of the way right up front. Mm-hmm. So this movie, in many ways, basically creates a creation myth uh, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, and so I wanted to ask you, do you feel like that the MCU has what it takes to support this kind of theological depth.
1: No. No. Flat out, no. I, I mean, I, and I hope that's not a controversial take at all. I don't think it should be. But no, I don't. I, the, the entire MCU prior to this was structured, and you and I can can disagree about finer points and everything. I'll keep it very argument-free on this one, but it's structured as a very non-religious approach to everything. And it specifically does that with the Infinity Gems. It's sort of like, it's almost like string theory. It's a, a wonderful story to tell, and it removes all concept of, uh, you know, of in- intellect or intent from the creation of anything. And okay, fine. it's a movie universe, and it keeps it, you know, just going straight down the, the you know, straight down the aisle that way. Fine. Nothing prior to this movie coming out supports any idea that, oh, by the way, before the stones existed, which we told you happened at the creation of the universe, Ershem uh, happened. It's like, really? You're going to retcon everything now. That seems silly. And so I, I know I'm rambling at this point, but you know, just just to put the cap on it, another problem I have with it is just like the Loki series uh, making a joke out of the Infinity Stones. Oh yeah, we have plenty of those. We use them as paperweights. Well, you just devalued the whole driving thing that you told me to care so much about over the last decade. That's it's not good storytelling, man. You don't you don't devalue the thing that was the big driving plot device of everything that came beforehand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I think that's a good point. Um, I remember, you know, uh, seeing this movie for the first time and just being a little bit baffled that you would try to use this kind of depth in a universe that's already well established. And, You know, I understand that comic book universes, DC and Marvel both have their own creation type mythologies that they've built into them. Um, But I think that I think one of the the reasons that this doesn't work specifically based off the MCU itself is that the MCU always felt like the heightened version of our reality and our world. It's like our world, but just slightly heightened, right? And I think that with that being the case, then adding this type of material, which creates an amount of depth and... And and thought to it just doesn't fit with the universe that they've created so far. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has never taken itself this seriously, mm-hmm. and and I think that's the thing. Now, if you had put this in the DC universe, it might make more sense, right? Because that series has already shown itself to take itself very seriously but so much of the MCU is is light and fun and and enjoyable and airy and, and and nothing kind of has prepared us for okay now we're going to take ourselves so seriously that we are actually going to talk about the actual creation of this universe as if it was its own true world where we have a creation myth
1: now, see you mentioned the DC thing, and of course there there is you know <laughs> Jack Kirby's having fun here, you know because we we have the New Gods, we have the Eternals, we have all of these things. The Eternal springs very much from you know its original roots in the 1970s. We're we're still in the uh, chariots of the gods phase of everything. You know, uh, uh, Eric Von Daniken's book is very big at the time in search of hosted by Leonard Nimoy. Did they really build things or were they aliens? I'm not saying it was aliens, but aliens sort of stuff is going on. So the Eternals fits in there. But I think you're absolutely right. This feels like. Basically, what the DC universe film universe was that what Snyder was pinning everything on. This was the, this feels like that foundation. And especially when you get to Zack Snyder's justice league, that's essentially what you're seeing, right? Is, is something along the lines of the eternals fighting. You have dark side, you have Hercules, you have like, you have all of this pantheon and it, it takes all of these things. And so, and so it immediately roots Superman and wonder woman in, in this sort of zone that the Eternals is trying to get into. And so strangely enough, this feels derivative of their main competitor. And it it's odd because DC movies were setting themselves apart by leaning into this and Marvel had had success by leaning away from it. So that makes this movie all the more puzzling Mm -hmm. because why are you suddenly changing direction now? Mm -hmm. Basically what it feels like is it feels like they're trying to have every angle. They're saying, well, we'll do that too. And in all honesty, I think it just muddies the brand.
0: Well, and I think, you know, the way the... and, and, And the other reason I think that this doesn't work for the MCU is that the MCU has always set itself up as being heroes among men. Mm-hmm. DC, from the beginning, with what it did with uh, Man of Steel, it started about about gods among men. Mm-hmm. Therefore, having a story where you have more godlike beings facing off about other godlike beings, uh, and being basically, of course, you... And of course, like you said, with you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League, it's the, the 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 Justice League is are basically descendants in some mm-hmm. ways, uh, metaphorically of the the gods of Olympus and that kind of thing. So but the MCU has never done that, right? In fact, if anything, the MCU has been about men against God or gods or uh bad yes. gods, right? In in much the same way that, you know, uh the original uh run of star trek kirk was going around always you know killing crummy gods gods that were false And in many and in a lot of ways, that's exactly what we've been seeing in the MCU. They're they're killing false gods, people who have uh, these godlike desires. Um, in fact, the MCU is rife with characters making bad decisions that put themselves basically in the place of gods, which ends up creating big problems. I mean, that's where we get vision. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you've got Thanos pretending basically to to be a god and making a godlike decision. And, you know. Uh, here with the Eternals, we're, we're adding in the Celestials, which are these godlike beings who now are, you know, apparently creating universes. But to do that, they have to destroy – they have to create and then destroy something so they can create again. And it's just like it, – it it what it really it, it, creates
1: is this ultra-nihilistic universe to which there's really not a lot of hope. It's also creating something that, one, let's be honest, let's address the elephant in the room, Kurt Russell, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Ego should have fallen into this camp. He doesn't. He can't fit here, especially with the mythos that they make. So it's an odd misstep for a series that supposedly is so concerned about keeping its continuity. Mm Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, on top of that is this, this really. I, I think that they, they try so hard to make it. Um, compl- they, they overcomplicate everything. They make it so. They, they try so hard to make it complex that they lose sight of the fact that it's not the complexity of Thanos' plan that appealed to everybody. It was the ease with which anybody could understand what he was trying to do. And the fact that first all you know is he's collecting the stones and he's behind the scenes. Then you understand what he wants the stones for. Then you see him use the stones. Then you see the heroes have to take action based on what he's done. That is very clear, effective, straightforward storytelling. I could not tell you what the real mechanics or motivations of anybody in this movie were. There are too many characters. I didn't care about a single one of them. And we couldn't get involved in this because they they address it right off. Where were you when Thanos did his thing with the snap? Well, we couldn't get involved because we can't get involved in human history because we have to let... We have to let populations grow to a certain stage so that celestials inside their planets can be born. Well, by that logic, you should have cared very much about what Thanos was doing because of the fact that he was setting you back by what he chose to do. Wiping out half of the universe goes completely against what you're trying to Mm -hmm. accomplish. Yeah. You just gave me the reason why you should have gotten involved. Right.
0: Well, and by saying they can't get involved unless deviants are involved, and and yes, no, a hundred percent. It's like by their own logic, they should have gotten involved because Ajax should have known would know that this planet has to survive; otherwise, you're killing a celestial. And so it's just it's so overcomplicated and makes so little sense that it's so frustrating.
1: And and well, uh, and, and, I just, and, let, and let let me ask you this. Okay, I'll ask you one question that, that is fraught with peril for me to ask. Am I a reasonably intelligent person? You've known me for a while. Am I a reasonably intelligent person? Honestly. That's the way to put it. Reasonably, reasonably intelligent. intelligent. Yeah. I can tie my own shoes. I manage to drive a car without killing myself. Yeah, hey, you put a shirt on in the right way. So, most of the time. Sometimes yeah. I mess that up. But, you know, like I said, reasonably intelligent. Yeah, one
0: pant leg at a time.
1: But both legs in one pant leg at a time. That's well, you know, sometimes. Yeah, that
0: that, that's also somewhat frustrating sometimes.
1: So why did it have to have a certain number of people for the cele? Like, did the Celestial have to eat everybody when it was born? Like, I seriously attuned out by that point where they were like, hey, it needs to have this many people. Why? Like, you legitimately solve the whole problem by simply saying, oh, well, we can't get involved unless Deviants are involved. And it's being born simply because the earth is old enough now. It's been gestating long enough. Okay. You just solved a huge story problem right there by, by simply thinking it through. I'm not, I'm not Albert Einstein here. Okay. How, how, like, did did I miss some reason why there had to be so many people? Did I miss this?
0: Yeah, I
1: I I've watched this twice
0: now, and it almost feels like there's a certain amount of energy that is created by having a certain amount of people at a certain technological level, I guess. Which doesn't quite make sense. That I guess the celestial feeds off of, and then finally is able to have enough energy to break through, you know, uh, the uh, womb of the earth. Uh, it's 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 all it does. You're absolutely right. It just doesn't make sense. And so I've got another question for you here because what I don't quite understand either, we're in phase four, right? And mm-hmm. we're doing this show. After this has come out, we're already in phase five now. We know they're going towards the multiverse, right, with with uh, Kang and the Secret Wars and all that kind of stuff. What does this have anything to do with anything that they're doing? Like, I, what I don't understand is why does this movie exist and how does it fit into what they're trying to do in the first place? Like, that's the thing that I, I still, I've, I've rewatched this movie now and, and, you know, we're in phase five and I still can't understand exactly why we're telling this story in the first place at all. There seems to be no why other than, well, let's throw some spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks.
1: Yeah, I, I got nothing. I can't help you. Maybe so Harry Styles can be in the part two or something? I don't know. Um but Yeah. With the yeah. world's worst animated looking sidekick. Oh my gosh. Oh geez, that pip animation was just wow. Wow, we're talking about the stinger, obviously. I yeah. mean, why would you why would anybody be listening this deep into this show without having seen the movie? So you, you know what we're talking about. Well, but and
0: we already know that Marvel uh, VFX has been having problems for years now. I mean, there was just another article that came out in Vulture today about uh, the the problems that they had with Ant-Man and Quantumania and you know, having to take mm-hmm. people off of that so they could work on Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which still also looked like junk. And so it's just like their VFX has, has been struggling for a long time, but yeah, that whew, it was... Mi-
1: mixed results at best. Yeah. But th- there are two things I want to be sure we talk about before we we round third or anything like that. Three things. Okay? And I, I'm not trying to like dominate the floor here, but one, uh, I watched the, you know, quote-unquote IMAX enhanced version of this on Disney+. Plus. It's my first time seeing it. I was angry at how inconsistently and inartfully the switching aspect ratio was used. When I watch a Christopher Nolan film where he uses IMAX, he has the decency to say, this is an IMAX sequence. Enjoy. Now we're back to normal aspect ratio. Now we're back to IMAX. We don't have three aspect ratios, nor do we change the aspect ratio between three different shots inside of Five seconds. Mm-hmm. The hell yeah. is that, man? Yeah. Look, I, I'm sorry. That's the only. That's the only way I can say it without getting a bleep. Here is what the hell was going on with that? Don't bother. It's annoying yeah. and it's insulting. Sorry, well,
0: that's just, no. That's I, my take. I, on it. I I completely understand because you know, seeing it in the movie theater, it was not quite as jarring as that because you're on a much bigger screen and and. But when you're on a television screen, it does become very apparent when you go from your normal letterbox look to, a, you know, a, a not quite IMAX format, then to the IMAX format, which fills the entire screen. And then it it's it is very strange. And there seems, like you said, to be no consistency in that whatsoever. And. I could not figure out why there were three different formats in this film uh and it's 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 definitely not done well at all so no I 100% agree with you in that now I do have to ask you you mentioned the fact that this is a movie that has 45,000 characters in it and so I I think I'll put it this way for me there are are two characters that i enjoy watching their story in and i think that they do a pretty decent job of bringing them to life Um, and they're honestly characters who just don't get enough time unfortunately on screen so don lee as gilgamesh and then angelina jolie as thena i thought their story was actually really beautiful it's a really well done story the idea that you have this unrequited love of this person who spends his entire existence taking care of somebody that he desperately loves but will never take advantage of because she's she's she can't right and it's it's a beautifully played not romance romance and it's heartbreaking right because these people have lived for thousands upon thousands of years and it's it's the only thing in the movie that I truly actually found any connection to, even the second time watching this film. I find what's frustrating is that we focus on all of these other characters and we're moving from them so quickly and none of them are really given anything interesting to do. It all feels very, I would say, rote. It feels very blasé. It, it it feels cliche, um, and it just doesn't, other than those two, I feel like it doesn't work. So my question for you is, were there any characters that, you, when they were on screen, you enjoyed any of them, or had any relationships that you gravitated towards at all in this
1: film? No. Gilgamesh and Thena, that was an interesting thread they should have pulled on. But no, I, 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 I was, I, I what I found absolutely flat out interesting, and I know you know Chloe Zhao said that she actually liked what Zack Snyder had done with Superman, and I suppose it's better for her to copy Man of Steel for Icarus than for. The Russo brothers to have copied Shrek for the Hulk. So that's a win, I guess. (laughs) It's true. But at the same time, I found it, again, funny that especially Marvel fans were annoying. Not every Marvel fan. I'm a Marvel fan, too, guys. At least I was before this movie. But Marvel fans as a whole sort of built online part of their identity dragging what Snyder did and then you had this high profile film where a character is essentially patterned after his Superman and it I found it interesting because again it's off-brand that the whole idea of well Zack Snyder's Superman doesn't work in Marvel movies because that's just not the type of character we do well here you go here he is sort of even the way his eye beams work, I'm like, come on, come on, come on, stop copying here. Uh, but and even his end flying into the sun is unfulfilling. No, I, I didn't, you know. And and as for Ereshem, okay, talk about characters. Here's a reason why this movie makes me angry in another way. Everybody looks up. Everybody sees Ereshem in the sky. Everybody freaks out. Oh, my gosh. Wow, look at that. That's a big, imposing image. It's stunning. And the only thing I could think, because I was so done with the movie by this point, was thinking to myself, what a damn shame that this type of shot was not saved for when Galactus shows up in a Fantastic Four movie, because that's a Galactus shot. That is Galactus showing up to eat your freaking world, and everybody looking up and going, oh, no, what's about to happen? And instead, it's just for him to show up and be like, I'm mad you did things, and I'm going to look at your brain. Bye. What? Why'd you even have that? And so that bothers me, too. Sorry to get so animated, but you stole my Galactus from me, man.
0: Well, and I think, you know, I, it makes sense because you are somebody who has more familiarity with the Marvel comics. And so them kind of doing it in this way takes away from something, you know, the Fantastic Four we know is one of the building blocks of the Marvel uh, Universe in the first place. And uh, then to kind of steal something that would take away from what would make, you know, films in the MCU with uh, the characters from the Fantastic Four frustrating. And uh, so, and we know obviously, that those are characters that are going to be coming in, in the MCU in the first place. And so, because according to, you know, Feige, he hopes that the MCU go, goes for 80 years. You know, the comics have been around that long. So uh, I guess this show is never going to end. But uh, I, I got to ask you this, John. A lot was made about the fact that Chloe Zhao was directing this film. You know, she had uh, one for Gnome Land uh, and... You know, she is a, a high-profile director and, and has a very specific look. So that means that every scene here needs to take place either at sunrise or sunset. You know, yeah. and what did you think about just the look and feel of this film overall?
1: Meh. I, I I didn't see anything where I was like, "Wow, look at that visual sensibility." That's I, honestly, it, you know, just especially with the way the, the aspect ratio switched around and the inconsistency of the effects, I didn't get the sense of anything special happening visually. And I'm saying that with all due respect. Obviously, I'm not a director, blah, 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 you know, usual sort of, you know, mea culpas and, and humility here. But you know, I look at the first Thor Kenneth Branagh, I look at that and I'm like, wow, there's visual flair there. I know that Marvel hated his, his use of Dutch angles and stuff like that. But that's a visual impression in my brain. I don't walk out of this at all with any se- sort, of, sort of visual impression of what she was trying to do there. You know, the, the original Avengers, it looks like a Joss Whedon TV show with a big budget. Okay, that, that's a visual thing. But no, I honestly thought that the uh, visuals were kind of bland.
0: I think that the movie has a distinct visual style that's hers, and part of that has to do with the fact of when she shoots. uh, You know, again, she loves to shoot at at sundown or sunrise, uh, and she loves that lighting, you know, kind of that golden hour lighting. It's her thing. Uh, And so there are a lot of shots in this movie that that are definitely things that, that she does. I think that, Unfortunately, the movie here, she's not serviced well by the script that she's been given because she would be better served by a much smaller film that's much more character-driven than this kind of overblown, you know, ridiculous, out-of-this-world creation myth thing that she's been handed. And I just don't think it— it helps. It's not her fault, in all honesty. I I don't think that this has anything to do with her because I can see bits and pieces where I think she, as a director, comes through. I think the rest of it comes down to the fact that everything else is just so oversized. It's like, you know, you went to McDonald's and you supersized everything. That's exactly what this movie feels like. We're going to supersize it, and when we're going to pair it with a director who is somebody who would be more comfortable sitting down with a well-cooked steak and a Merlot that they're swiveling around in their glass, watching for the legs, you know, like this is, this is not where this director fits. And so I, I, Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Um, I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you was just about, okay, the action and the effects here, you know, we've talked a lot about, uh, and we talked a little bit about the effects work at um, you know, at the end of the film, uh, what did you end up thinking of that
1: uh, here in the movie? had typical sort of Marvel. Some of the shots looked good. Some of the shots looked rushed, like they didn't give the team enough time or money to you know to do what they were trying to do. And so, it wasn't egregiously inconsistent. It wasn't something like some of the other entries that we've gotten where I could see the shortcomings a lot you know the, mm-hmm. there were moments in Spider-Man Far From Home where the shortcomings really stood out there were moments in Thor Ragnarok where the shortcomings were there. like you know i could go through and just be like yeah it fell short there or like i look at um you know Walt incredible hulk and i'm like eh the ending right. of that yeah you know they weren't quite ready for what they were trying to pull off there it was a little ambitious sort of thing so, there wasn't anything where I thought it was just hideously, like, it didn't jump out as bad until Pip at the end. Yeah. Yep. And and, and when Pip showed up, I was just yep. floored it with how bad that looked. Mm-hmm. It just looked terrible. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. So, yeah, effects-wise, yeah. it's like, ugh, middling.
0: I, yeah. I, I think it's interesting because this is... A, is one of the more consistent films, I think, in in the effects, especially within Phase 4 so far. We haven't had that many films here, but I would say this is the best looking of all of them uh, uh, that we've had to this point. Um, But I think you're absolutely right. It's fine. I, I think the problem becomes more the fact that I don't really care about any of the action that's happening because I don't care about the movie because I'm not caring about the characters and I'm not caring about the story. So however good the effects are don't really matter, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and, and we've talked about films throughout the MCU here where regardless of what the effects were like, you're so invested in the characters and the story that's happening that part, it's like, oh, yeah, that part wasn't great, but you know what? I'll forgive it because I liked what was happening with with the characters. And so um I, I think that's that's frustrating that you have a movie where it's like, oh, well, this that looks pretty good,
1: but I don't really
0: care. And I think that's a really sad
1: place to be. Speaking of caring. I know Blade has the last line of the movie, technically, with the stinger. But Kit Harington reaching for the Blade to become the Black Knight and then hearing Blade from the, you know, say, whatever line was, is such a deep dive that absolutely nobody except people with a really good memory of some really obscure crap in Marvel Comics got what the hell was going on there, except to say that Jon Snow would be back in Eternals 2. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. So.
0: Which I'm really excited to have Jon Snow back. You know, I was a huge fan of him and Game of Thrones. So, um, yeah, the fact that he's going to be in the Marvel movies is awesome. What a crossover.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Maybe it was one of the the walkers was it what oh Blade is a day walker. He's talking yeah, to Jon Snow. Yeah. There we go. There's yep. our tie-in. Yeah. I love it. There you go. Mm-hmm.
0: Um Yeah, I mean I I don't really know um what else to say about the film. And so I guess it's that means that it's probably just a good time to rate uh, Eternals. So, John, Mm -hmm. uh, you were going to and you are going to rate Eternals. So what is that rating? Half
1: star. Yes, that's a brutal rating. And that's because and I was saying this to my daughter. I can honestly say that I dislike this movie so much. I almost don't want to keep watching Marvel movies. This was almost three hours of my life. My time's precious. I know it might not seem that way, but my time's precious. And I I have watched Neil Breen movies. I've watched The Room many, many times. Those are bad movies. I've watched Miami Connection. But they're fun to watch. There's a sense of joy. There's a sense of innocence about somebody putting together a movie like Fateful Findings where you're not quite sure is it just that they've never watched a movie before it like what's happening here why is this going on and you you can have a chuckle and you could sit there and puzzle over it or you watch the room and you almost feel this human sense of sadness for Tommy Wiseau, because you're like man this guy really tried he just didn't know what he was doing and you like you can't be mad at him about it but you get a chuckle out of it too because some of the stuff that's going on is so silly that it's just fun This is not fun. This is painful. This is bad on every front. It was a waste of my time. Half star. This
0: is one of those movies that I vowed that I would never watch again uh, when I first saw it. And here I am rewatching it. That shows Mm. you how dedicated I am to this podcast, y'all. And it was rated at one star. It got half a star taken away because I had to rewatch it. And there was nothing to improve this movie at all. Um, I, I think um, part of that, too, was that rewatching the movie, I was struck all over again as I, I don't understand why Erisham would create beings that go to a planet that can't hear um, and that are children like the the just the logic of this makes absolutely no sense um and so like there's just things in this movie that just are there to be there and that's the worst kind of filmmaking and yes this is the worst kind of filmmaking uh i think um you know I, and i would i would I, I want to ask you a question before we get to our ratings real quick do you think, you know, now that you've seen a few things in Phase 4, is Marvel ever going to be able to recapture itself again? Or are, we're, are we always on a downward trend?
1: I think uh, all they can do is stop the bleeding at this point. I'm still looking forward to Guardians 3 because 1 and 2, I'm like, delightful. I, and I'm willing to give that, give 3 a shot. Because yeah. the first and two we've showed got no me no that- way
0: home coming too. I mean, and at least in this and next week we talk That's about true. Hawkeye and so there's things in here that could be good. So, but I, I
1: just Mo- movie wise, no, I'm I, I can honestly say that you know what we'll get to our rankings and you'll you'll see yeah. why I feel okay. like movie wise they're yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go luck.
0: with uh, my rankings first uh, on Please. this one because I normally let you go first. But uh, I'm going to go with um, number one, The Eternals. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Captain America, Winter Soldier, Iron Man, Iron Man 3, Civil War, uh, Avengers Endgame, The First Avenger, Black Panther, Guardians 2, Ant Man, Doctor Strange, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, The Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Avenger, Spider-Man Far From Home, Avengers Infinity War, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Thor of the Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Howard the Duck, Black Widow, Age of Ultron, Captain Marvel, WandaVision, Thor Ragnarok. And it will always be at the basement because I do not think anything will ever be this bad. Eternals. John?
1: Well, we differ slightly on something here, Matt, but not as much as you might think. Because, of course, going back through. All right. Deep breath. Hang on. Don't hyperventilate, everybody. Captain America the Winter Soldier, Iron Man 3, Ant Man, Guardians 2, Iron Man, Avengers Endgame, Black Panther, Guardians 1, Doctor Strange, Loki, Captain America Civil War, Captain America the First Avenger, Ant Man and the Wasp, The Incredible Hulk, Avengers Infinity War, Thor, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, Spider-Man Homecoming, Avengers, Howard the Duck, WandaVision, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Spider-Man Far From Home, Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Age of Ultron, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, and Eternals. And I just want to make this, this note here as Eternals comes in dead last. It was a joke for a very long time, and I was dead serious It's like guy. Ah, no, I'll never dislike anything more than I dislike Captain Marvel. I at least understood what they were trying to do with Captain Marvel. They might not have done it well but I got what they were going for same with black widow I would watch any of the four movies on my list before eternals thor ragnarok avengers age of ultron black widow and captain marvel I would watch any one of those at least 3 times in a row before I would watch eternals again I will never for any conceivable reason rewatch eternals if you if you propose hey you know why don't we go back and watch things in reverse order? No, I will about, never watch What uh, about if you want to do again. Chloe
0: Zhao on House Lights? Don't care. <laughs> nope. And by the way, I realized that I forgot to add uh, Loki in there, and Loki for me comes between Ant Man and the Wasp and Avengers. So, but
1: that's um, but that's okay because Letterbox won't let uh, won't let us uh, put in uh, anything like what if either. Yes,
0: so. I know what if is frustrating because I can't put what if in there anymore. I don't remember where it
1: was on the list. You know what? I think everybody should go back and listen to that episode and yeah. remind us.
0: I, I think that "What If" was probably, um, between like Shang Chi and the Incredible Hulk kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, it, it's up there for me. I really enjoyed it.
1: Uh, yeah, for me, "What If" definitely uh, happens in because right now, like, if if I have it broken out, I have a one, two, three, four, five, six rows. What if is somewhere between uh what was it here it's somewhere between captain america civil war and howard the duck it's floating okay. around somewhere All in right there. yeah
0: uh, and what if might be a little bit lower I, I think it's probably more like it's between guardians of the galaxy and ant-man
1: and the wasp Um uh, which is funny that you put yeah. it that way because that would actually elevate it in my list yeah yeah so
0: um no, I'm really frustrated that they took What If off there as an ability to to be able to put in because it really helped my list. So I might actually just have to go out and write my list and then, yeah, anyway. But, um, yeah, we talked about Eternals. And on the uh, next episode, we're going to be on to Hawkeye, which uh, I'm excited to actually rewatch. I love Jeremy Renner as the character and introducing Kate Bishop now. Uh, and, uh, you know, too, I know people rave about the Matt Fraction comics, uh, and so, which these are kind of based off of, which I've really actually been wanting to read, and I have a copy of, I just haven't gotten a chance to get around to it, but, anyway, John, if people wanted to catch up with you... See what else that's going on in Kesselvania these days and how Kesselcoin is doing. Where would they find you?
1: Oh, Kesselcoin is having a banner year. It's the most stable currency. It has lost no value since we last checked in. Fantastic. Keep that in mind, kiddos. It I'm is glad worth I've exactly... invested heavily. I, you know what? And Kesselvania appreciates that. And you can send <laughs> all of your concerns about Kesselcoin. Uh, find me online. It's Kessel Junkie. Um, I'm going to be a little bit quiet during the Lenten season while we're, while we're uh, recording this, but, uh, you know, I, I'll never be able to stay away. And you can find me over on the nerd party network, co-hosting two shows. One is called house lights. Matt mentioned it earlier, where we look at the work of directors, uh, by different silly categories. And we have a lot of fun with that. And I co-host a show called aggressive negotiations, a star Wars podcast. And I co-host that with you one Matthew rushing.
0: And it's a blast. Uh, Everybody should be checking out Aggressive Negotiations. If you are a Star Wars fan and you like the Star Wars shows that we do here, Aggressive Negotiations is definitely the place for you. Of course, uh, you can find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02. Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero are all the places I'm most active, and I would love to catch up with you there. Uh, You can also... Uh, find me here on the network doing a lot of other shows. Most of them Star Trek related, Uh, of course, everything in the 602 club main feed, but you have got warp five about Star Trek enterprise, the orb about Star Trek, deep space nine literary tracks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. You've got saddle up about strange new worlds and Star Trek Picard season three is happening now. That means the artificial tango is back as Chris and I are diving deep into that series You can't miss it. And, of course, when I wasn't doing aggressive negotiations on the nerd party, you can find a completed show called Owl Post. I did that with Drea Kaufman, and we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you
1: so much for joining us. Uh, Avengers, but not the Eternals. Avengers. That's how